What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Oh, it's lovely to see you. Look at your face there. Floating. Floating above this car. Yes. In front of this car, really. Yes. Sorry for those who are just listening and not watching, but you could always subscribe to the Patreon and then boom, you could see our beautiful faces, especially mine today, because I put a little makeup on some like a silver kind of look to go with the with the titanium uh, theme of the film that we'll be discussing in the second half. Uh, which brings me to we have a guest today. Joe, would you like to introduce the guest? Yes. Your friend? Yes, Yay! I would. Yeah. Folks, uh, it is very uh, when I when I come out of the coffin as a horror fan, nothing one of the very nothing gives me more joy than saying that and then afterwards meeting someone and them being like, "I'm also a horror fan too." And I'm like, "Ah, yes." And it gives me much pleasure to introduce my dear friend and fellow horror fan and activist, artist extraordinaire, Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello. Thank you, Joe and Joshua. So glad to be here. Yay. Welcome. Artist, what kind of art do you do? What's your artistness, artistry? <laughs> Graphic design. I also do some block printing, photography, and any kind of art I try and do it. Yeah. I, I, struggle with the term artist for myself, but I'm trying to embrace it as much as possible. But yeah, yeah, I really believe in exploring all facets of art. Although pottery, I have not been able to get into, but <laughs> that's yeah. something. Yeah, you could do that as an aged artist. That could be the thing that you like retire to do. Nice. Like I've, I, I'm going to retire and make throw pots on a beach somewhere. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> if that's a thing or not, I'm just going to make that up there. Oh, welcome to the show. So glad. And I'm glad that Joe inter- has introduced me to another awesome horror fan in the world. We love seeing that. Queer horror fans. We make the world go round, I believe. I'm pretty we sure really that's do. how. We really do. I think that's, I think that's what the, is at the heart of the centripetal force behind the Earth's rotation. What am I talking about? Joe, how did you all meet Ben and Joe? Joe and Ben. I do some volunteering work on the side and on, uh, in addition to creating this content and much to Joshua's chagrin when I have c- schedule conflicts and can't record. And one of the things that I was volunteering with Ben was a part of and but we had we had we had previously both worked at the same place at different uh, at the same time, but maybe we didn't know each other then. I don't think we knew each other then. No, yes. I knew of you. Yes, and I knew of you. See, look, we are reputations. The siren call of queer horror hearts just wants us to know each other. And so now... that and Joe's personal ad on the bathroom stall wall. Not a personal (laughs) ad. All of them. It is a review, Joshua. It is a review, not an ad. Okay. (laughs) That's on Vangieslist.com is my review. A glorious glory hole review. I love it. Vangie's List. Yes, Vangie's List. I love that. Uh, I think we should just just propagate this. (laughs) 
Go ahead. I think it's just called Vanjie now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just Oh my gosh. That's amazing. All right. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. So yay. And I'm glad that Joe has another friend. That makes me very excited for Joe. <laughs> I'm glad Joe has friends too. <laughs> so Ben, Joe says that you're a lifelong fan of horror. So for you, what is it? Why horror? We like to ask people this question and then we'll just sit here in silence while we try to figure it out. Of course. I think from the very beginning, it's always been about the the strong female protagonist. In a way, I've always related to that. My favorite uh, horror film is the original Scream. And okay. since that that Casey Becker death at the very beginning, like I was I was hooked not to be no pun intended. <laughs> and then just seeing how I think horror films are able to uplift women in film it's just i've always loved that i love that a lot of the the jerk men usually end up dying as somebody who is a, a, a small town queer person i always felt like i was never that jock or that what whatever what have you so i always got a little bit of satisfaction whenever they were terrorized or murdered and the women looked fabulous doing it who can run however many miles in a pair of heels that I just loved all of that. I love that. So Scream, do you remember what age you were when you first saw Scream? Because that came out in 90... Is that right? I'm starting to get all my <laughs> dates start to blur. But yeah, 96. Do you remember when you first saw it? Probably you know, 12, or, 12 or 13 is probably how old I was. Okay. I developed my love of horror quite young. I grew up watching also true crime. So my mother and I loved Dateline and 2020. And I still watch those to this day. So I don't know if she realized just how much she was getting me hooked on other people's trauma, but that, that's what ended up happening. I guess parents will do that. I love that. I actually am playing. We might have to uh, invite you back in the future because I've been working on a, a, a new unit of films that will all be based on true crime. So like where horror, like, and, but the messiness of that, when they're like based on a true event, and then you're like, it was like this thing that happened, but it has nothing to do with that. But yeah, so I also grew up, I started watching horror films really young because my mom had me really young. She was a teenager in 1984 when I was born. And of course that was like the year Nightmare on Elm Street came out and all kinds of other horror stuff. So I grew up on horror because teenagers, shockingly do not make good choices in what child entertainment is. <laughs> so yeah, so that's what I grew up on. And then also Unsolved Mysteries and things like that. So definitely, I, I have truly been, I think, from birth, like a horror hound fanatic. And I remember Scream. My mom actually went to the theater with a boyfriend to see Scream and then came back and was so excited for us all to see it. <laughs> and I was like, I was, I actually... Yeah, like I just said, she went to see it in the theater. Dating myself, I actually was, what, how old was I, 12? I think I was, yeah, 11 or 12 when Scream came out. And so I thought I saw it. Yeah, 96, I would have been 11 when it came out. And then by the time it hit video, I would have been 12. So that's when I saw it. So see, look at that. We all, we come to it around that age. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I will say is I feel like scary movies, horror films, they're so like drastically underrated by like the broad audience of folks like i feel like they're often decide or not taken seriously and i personally hate that because i feel like they're able to tell stories in ways that are able to navigate all of these really heavy topics in ways that like mainstream films can't do and yes there is those like the trashy horror films that i also love to watch but I also think there's a lot of depth in how horror films are made and the stories they're trying to tell. I just think folks don't want to go that extra mile to put some thought into it like they do other movies that are either getting Oscars or Academy Awards or whatever. No, I'm, you're right. We've long talked about that on, on the show. You know, there are always those like standouts like Carrie and uh, The Exorcist, which have been at least recognized by the Academy, which no matter how you feel about it, Obviously, I'm very dismissive of the Academy, but the, the standard by which we judge a lot of films, when people decide something is good enough, we look to see, was it nominated for an Academy Award? So horror is often locked out of that. Obviously, with most recently, I think Tony Collette's performance in Hereditary deserved an Oscar, at least a nom. I couldn't believe there was like nothing. But do you think that relationship has been changing? Because I feel like we're in this sort of, I have to let the cat in or they're just going to scream. 
I thought you, you were pausing for something very dramatic. I love No, that. it's I could hear the cat in the background yelling. But I just think that we're seeing a change. So what is that like for you is like a, lo- a longtime horror fan seeing sort of these new conversations and horror happening? What's that been like for you? It's been great. Uh, I think for me, it, I feel like it's challenging also directors, writers to also come up with more inventive stories to tell under the the genre of horror. And that to yeah. me is super exciting because I've just seen the stories just diversify so much. I, and I've loved it. I'm sad that I know so few friends that like horror movies. That's why I was, I'm always glad to connect with somebody. That's why when Joe shared that he was a, a horror fan, I immediately gravitated towards him because yeah, there's not in my, in the people I know, there's not a whole lot of folks that enjoy it. I'm usually the person that's going to the theater on my own to watch horror films because no one else will go with me. Oh, we'll have to, to see. At least I have Joe to drag along. It's like we have to, it's homework. But yeah, no, I get that. It's also interesting because people, what horror is as an umbrella term encapsulates a whole lot of genres. So people will be like, oh, I don't like horror. But then they're like, oh, I love The Silence of the Lambs or I love this or that. And I'm like, that's a horror film. Like it's under the umbrella. Like it might be a thriller or psychological thriller or something, but it's still. Like at its heart, like a horror film, it's getting into these existential conversations or meditations on violence or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's, it still connects to horror. So I think a lot of people are horror fans mm-hmm. without realizing it because they think blood, gore, horror, everything else they try to paint over with some sort of elevated branding. <laughs> I'm just like, no, that's hard. <laughs> Were you like afraid? Were you put in a position of being afraid or... Did something happen that is scary to the characters that you wouldn't want to be in? Then it's it's touching at something. So mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing that these newer conversations around horror are finally bringing. Just understanding that it's a lot broader, a lot deeper than people want to think. I always have... Uh, was the, um, the last great horror... Go ahead, Jeff. As you say, I always have this conversation with my mom because there are movies that I sincerely think that she would enjoy based off but she's someone who likes a true crime her and my dad watch a lot of their law and order svu people every manifestation of chicago public service public uh, public services whether it's fire or medical or law or whatever and sometimes i just reflect back to her and i'm like you like the science of lambs you've watched that you like a true crime type thing and it's all like you said it's adjacent it touches it and I think like when you put the green sticker, when you put the green horror sticker on a movie or on anything, it people have they immediately go to the most severe type of thing that they can think of that their imagination lets them think about when in actuality, it's very vast and it's very nuanced. And it can be just we did a whole thing last year on gateway horror, like horror for kids. Like that's all stuff that is like falls under the realm of it, but it's not like it's not intensely traumatizing and there are Disney movies where things that happen in it are just the same amount of trauma that happens to in kids in kid horror movies. So it's interesting to be at this place. And especially I think Ben, you, you may have had a similar experience where it's, I want to share this with another person and I cannot share this with another person because all of the people, most of the people in my life that are not Joshua that are which is most who, of the people in his life yes which is most of the people in my life <laughs> they happen to not be me that's yeah. delightful go ahead yes. sorry we this world cannot take more than one of you just <laughs> throwing that out there but i want to share it with people in my life who i think would appreciate it as i, I say this all the time about midnight mass midnight mass on netflix i loved as a person who grew up Catholic, as and as someone who really appreciates the nuance of what they're trying to, t- the overall story they were trying to tell with that series, I wanted to share it. It was one of the most beautiful things that I had ever seen on television. And no one would watch it because it is under the horror genre. And yeah, towards the end, it gets really bloody and really violent. But everything leading up to that, it, it's like, the it really is truly the climax and... I've heard this be used before to to describe television like that. The rubber band snap, right? You pull the rubber band back, and then when you let it go, there's a certain point where it's the snap. That's like the penultimate episode of Beef recently, Midnight Mass. It's like the second to last episode where everything comes to a point where it cannot be stopped, and now we're on a different trajectory. And I love that, and no one's 
wanted to go on that journey with me. So I I hear you, Ben. And that's why I always say it in in the spaces in which I am. It's if I feel like this is like it, I feel like coming out of the coffin, I as I said, it's one of those things where it's I do this because I know that other people who feel similarly and then are going to, ah, yes, I can mention that in a professional way. And then it's also a nice way to talk about, to see if there's people who to challenge, why? Why horror? And I'm like, oh, because here's all these things and we can talk about this and uh, invasion anxiety from the 1960s. And here's my podcast. Listen to my podcast. There we um, go. I love that. Something along the same vein as that, Joe, is my husband has never seen any of Jordan Peele movies. And I'm just like, as somebody who, he is very into like racial justice, delving into topics that some of those movies explore. But I think he very much writes it off as as horror and just doesn't engage. And that's one of the, just any of those movies are things that I would want to talk to him about and dissect just so much of the themes in those movies. So the fact that I can't do that, it's just, that's I, very, it just yeah. blows my mind. Yeah, that's very unfortunate because it's such a big part of the cultural conversation about, so you have this sort of racial violence happening. You have these con- conversations about racial injustice. And then one of the biggest films of that year, the horror films Get Out, is having a very immediate uh, conversation about it. And, and, and in a way that other film can't because other types of film either wait or they're just not made so immediately like horror is and when get out beyond that is having a really great conversation about like liberal racism about in internalized or inclusionary racism so it's it's oh man yeah i feel for you because that would be a great conversation that with somebody who's doing that kind of work to see something a cultural artifact immediately engaging in this conversation but I don't know. It's also at wow. times depressing, too, because you're like, we're all aware and we're having this big conversation, this huge movie that's engaging with this stuff, but things are slow changing. I don't know. I go back. I could see both ends of that spectrum. But sorry, Joe, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, from what I know of your husband, it shocks me a little bit because I feel like he would love it. I feel like he would love it. And I feel like it would just bring you two closer because it'd be like, yeah, remember? <laughs> yep. 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 Seen that. Seen that. And Which is so what horror does brings it, us closer. It brings us closer. It's it brings us closer together. <laughs> yeah. But get out specifically, like when we were all locked in our we're all locked away in 2020 and the racial uprising and calls for and all of that was happening in June. I remember looking at the lists that people were circulating about here are movies that you should be watching in this moment to not even to get an understanding, but just as a primer to build empathy for why. And, and contextualize a little bit of the moment. And Get Out was a movie that I made my mom watch. We, yeah. because I told her, I was like, it's not violent. It's just, you just have to watch it because, and I remember her, and we watched it because she asked me what a microaggression was. And I'm like, I was like, okay, let me just put on Get Out. <laughs> And the scene with the party where Chris is being like circulated around, I'm like, this is all microaggressions. And that opened up a really great conversation because she is a woman who worked in, she was a retired forensic scientist. So she worked in, in law enforcement, essentially. But it's also different because of culturally where we were from. She did that on Guam as opposed to here. And having these really deep conversations about the state of policing and especially in like America and the mainland and her trying to like actively reconcile her experience of the people that she worked with and what policing meant at the time on Guam with her and her being a part of that. And then the experience of like people and watching the news and what that's all about here and and trying to see her actively recognize reconciling that, which like, That's the other thing about like horror, right? Is that you can, it will affect you because it's because it's not real. And because you can turn the dial up to 11 to 20 in terms of just like the film that we're discussing today. Like it's things that just could not happen that are, or well, in case they get out, definitely do happen. It just contextualizes in a different way. And you can have that discussion. Yeah. 
I look forward to the day when your husband watches Get Out because I think that I think that it'll I just want to be there and hear about it. We should host it. We'll host a get together and just be like, oh, what's playing? It looks like we're all watching this. (laughs) Before we uh, take a quick break and and move on to discussing Titan, I'm curious, what was the last really good horror film that you saw that you just loved? Uh, Evil Dead Rising was I part didn't watch it in theaters because again i i didn't have anyone to go with so i ended up watching it with my best friend who's also a huge fan of horror she was here probably a month ago and we watched it together and we i absolutely loved it just the 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 body horror that happens in that just makes makes me cringe in just the the right amount of cringe yeah and i think the legit scares that came out of that the i think departure from because my my, I'm always afraid that sequels will tell the same story just in a different way. And I felt right. like this was very much an original story, and I, I love that they really went a, a different path than what had I think come before in that franchise. Awesome, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It just popped up on HBO Max or Max, I guess they're calling it now. Whatever. I'm just always going to call it whatever it was. But yeah, I just saw it pop up. So I added it to my list because I was traveling when it came out. So I like totally missed it. I didn't have time to see it in in the theater since everything's there for a week anymore, it seems. And, you know, we're just fucking busy. But I'm looking forward to sitting down and watching it because I love the original Evil Dead. We did an episode on that, man, years ago now, uh, uh, which was super fun. It's just it's such a bonkers film. And another one of those things that you're like, how did this get made? And how did it ever birth a huge franchise that's several films and a TV series? And aren't there video games and a whole world that has popped up around Sam Raimi and Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell? It's just, it boggles the mind. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. So yay, that's a good, good endorsement. Yeah. Especially that because yeah. I also was worried about it being, because like the second Evil Dead is basically like a remake of the first. And so I definitely yeah. get that like tension of, is this going to be the same? really quick what did you think of scream six because you said you scream was one of your favorites so what do you think what did you think of that i absolutely loved it i was very okay. much on the fe- fence about how they were going to handle the setting of of a city i was like mm-hmm. how are they going to do this is it really going to work and, and for me it really did i thought they were able to really capitalize on like those small dark corners that you often see in cities which murders do happen. And and that just made me even more frightened because of that is these legit could happen anywhere. But yeah, I I love the callbacks to all of the scream two that were in there. I love some of the, the very different intro that they did was a departure from previous films, which I enjoyed. I was definitely confused at the beginning. I'm like, what the fuck is happening or what the hell, what is happening? I don't know if I can cuss on this. Oh yeah. Fuck, fuck, oh fuck, yeah. Fuck, we fuck. yeah, we can you can say whatever you want. <laughs> sure. Yes, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't know what what the hell is happening. And I, I thought that the killer reveals were a little that is where I was like, that could have used a little bit more work. But other than that, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it left me with a few what questions but overall exactly i enjoyed it i loved seeing oh fuck her name just left my brain return from uh, scream 4 which is like one of hayden somehow Panettiere. scream 4 is yes hayden panettiere she's become one of my favorite characters in that franchise i actually love scream 4 i don't know why but there's just something i'd love to just throw that on and watch it i think it's her that character is so much fun plus it has that awesome song that opens it give me something to worth dying for or something i don't remember but it's such a good song uh, and music a lot of times connects me to, to horror in a way. Any film really good soundtrack, but cool. Yeah, I just one, I, I was one, like, oh yeah. One quick thing. I, I mentioned this to Joe about Scream Six is I was just I love Hay- Hayden Panettiere and, and Kirby as a character. I was just so distracted by the terrible wig that they made her wear throughout the entire film. I'm just like, it is literally so plasticky in every shot. Yeah. I just I was just like so distracted. I was like, who who selected this? I'm sure there was budget. It felt like they just went to Amazon and bought like the cheapest wig that they could. It looked like they got the wig off the Tiffany doll from Bride of Chucky. And they were like, yeah, this will do. They just found <laughs> yeah, it somewhere yeah, and brushed much. it out. <laughs> but I was like, I don't know. But I was just happy to see her. So I was just like, okay, I have to just let it go. We all 
I have, have just barely recovered from Scream 3's Gale Bang, and then they do that to us. And I'm just like, listen, <laughs> they're trying to traumatize yeah. us in lots of ways. Traumatize the gays <laughs> and the bays and the, the, all, the, all of the colors of the rainbow. All righty. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're <laughs> talking about all the colors of the rainbow. We're definitely touching a new one today with 2021's French extra- <laughs> insanity, Titan. We'll be right back. Hello there. I didn't see you come in. I'm Shane O'Hare of the Geekscape Games Podcast, the number one video game podcast on the Geekscape.network. Join myself, Derek Krenevelt, and a guest every fortnight as we discuss video game news, video game reviews, and dissections. That's Geekscape Games every two weeks on Geekscape.net. Welcome back. So continuing our uh, dive into more queer cinema and following up from last week's French horror film, Stranger uh, by the Lake, why not talk about another insane French film? Which is this becoming like a, like a, what do you call it? A tradition now? Because last year we did Knife Plus Heart for a queer film and that's horror, right? Didn't we do that around... Or French. It's it, horror. <laughs> French and horror. It's the same. Did you see that? Yes. Um, didn't we do that for Pride? I we remember. did it as part of our Pride series last year. This, I don't know how much more I can take it. of French queer extremity weirdness. <laughs> Joshua. Well, well, we'll get there. I haven't yet asked you your opinion. So you just hold up. Just pull it back. Hurry um, up and get there. So, yes, this we are talking about. I love this because it's... Um, Titan, which is French for titanium. Uh, and now you all have that idea uh, screeching in your head. Uh, 21 French body horror psychological drama film. It's just got everything. And this movie really does have everything. It's directed by Julia Duconau, who did Raw and directed a couple episodes of Servant, that M. Night Shyamalan series that's is that on apple i don't know apple tv or apple plus something like that so we already knew going in this was going to be crazy (laughs) it was going to be something strange so let's see we got a few things that we can read about here before we get into get into joe's thoughts so this is a film about a woman this is from sex drive clever title titan and the meaning of horror by philippa snow or philippa snow it's about a woman who has sex with then is impregnated by a cadillac to go into further spoilish detail titan is a film about a woman who behaves like a machine dangerous and automatic and devoid of empathy or feelings and who thus imagines herself to be incompatible with other human beings yeah i think that's a pretty good uh start and then let's see what's the other thing i wanted to say no, you know what? We'll get into we'll get into this in the conversation. Joe, what did you think of Titan? Why? 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 Pourquoi? Pourquoi, <laughs> Dormir? Why? Why? The whole time. First of all, what a movie to watch at nine in the morning as I'm eating pancakes. This movie of all movies. I'm also like house sitting and dog sitting. And the friends that I'm house-sitting for, they are very much not horror people. And I sent them a picture of the dog watching Titan with me. And I was like, they're in they're in Vegas right now because they're going to watch Adele at, at Caesars. And I was like, while y'all are getting ready to watch Adele, I'm showing your dog a movie about a French woman who has sex with a car. And then I didn't, I completely forgot that she does get pregnant by the car. And then I mm-hmm. texted them back and like, oh my God, she's actually pregnant by this car. And one of my friends, he is a huge car person. He's a car queer, which I, I, I derive a lot of satisfaction from. And he was like, oh my God, I saw the kind of car it is. What was that like? <laughs> and I'm like, it was exactly <laughs> as rough as you thought it would be. I have so much more I want to say, but I'm just going to say why this movie, why every just yelling pourquoi Yeah, at this film. (laughs) I just imagine that, Joe. And then also subtitled. And then also I invited Ben on the show to come and talk about a a movie and it's a queer movie. And because this is our pride series and we want to 
talk about queer movies and things. And then the whole time I'm watching it, I was like, oh my God, Ben is going to hate me. I was like, why this movie of all movies? <laughs> I was like, we should have had you on for Whoa. Stranger by the Lake. But, and I'm, I'm like, oh my God, I just, yeah, let's, it, it would be like, Someone who has never seen a horror movie before, and it's everybody. We're gonna show you martyrs. Come on, martyrs, Serbian film, <laughs> cannibal holocaust. What's on our blacklist that we don't? Ones that we'll never do on the show. We'll do that with you. Inside, <laughs> ah, Linteria, another French horror film that we did. Yeah, <laughs> this film debuted at Cannes. It won the Palme d'Or. It was selected as the French entry for the best international feature film at the 94th Academy Awards. So look at that. This uh, movie's fucked K-Star. up. What? The British Academy Film Awards. It just goes on and on. The Magritte Awards, five nominations, won two awards there. It's got a, a huge list of, by the standards of <laughs> which we judge film. This one's done a pretty done a pretty good little rack up of awards and nominations oh my god ben, the, I promise- the audacity of these producers to submit this film for the academy awards and forcing all of those crusty academy voters to watch a woman fuck not one but two cars in this mm. film and then give birth mm. i think that's pretty punk rock i think that's pretty queer but Wow. Just take, just shoving your face in it. Ben, I promise we'll have you on in the future and you can actually pick a movie to talk about. I was, again, <laughs> under the impression, because I thought when I was talking to Joe that you had seen the film and thought, oh, yes, I have things to, to say about that. But it's fine. Uh, what were you, What was your initial impression of it, Ben? My initial impression, first, it was like, what is Joe having me watch? Huh? <laughs> that, so that was the first off. But then Going in, I felt like it was not the movie I thought it was going to be, just based off of the very little description that I read about it. And I think it surprised me in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, I think there was a lot of emotional depth that I was not expecting mm-hmm. to be there. I was yeah. not emotionally prepared for some of it. I really thought it was just going to be this woman who likes to have sex with cars that then goes on a killing spree. So that's what I was like mentally prepared for. And I felt like it was going that route and then it took a 180 and then went a completely different direction. But a lot of, I did enjoy a lot of things that that came up in it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I remember seeing this, I think when it first came out and being like, what the hell? But when putting this together, because a lot of times when we're talking about queer horror, we're trying to like, okay, we need to find a movie that has a lesbian in it, a movie that has a gay person in it, a movie that has a trans person, or, or we try to find different identities on that spectrum to discuss. And this brought up some interesting things about animism and objectophilia. So these ideas that everything in the world, in the universe has a spirit, has a soul. That's the this idea of animism. And, and then, yeah, the objectophilia. So I thought, yeah, this might be interesting to explore something that's a little more on the edges of like queer sexuality, even though there is queer sex in the film, particularly with her and these women that she murders <laughs> left and right. But and everybody else that she's murdering. But okay, so to start, I want to read this is from Tatan proves no one has a body. This is by Sasha Geffen from 2022. So about when when did this film come out? Yeah, it's about six months after it was released. Julia de Cornell's film Tatan begins by reminding us of the rules. We're at a car show where everyone is in their expected place. Our protagonist, Alexia, rides essentially atop the hood of a Flame Street Cadillac while men stand around gawking in appreciation. The scene and its lines of power are stable, familiar, but almost immediately, Ducournau uh, begins to rebel. These are the first of many blooms in the Garden of Inversions that is Tatan, an absurd feat of body horror and surreal comedy that upends conventional notions of gender by turning our own expectations against us. She invokes tropes of trans storytelling only to expose them as such. And then this kind of, for instance, binding her breasts with ace bandages is a classic device of ad hoc trans masculinity. Many filmic depictions of trans and gender non-conforming characters are saturated either with either disgust or pity. Horror movies in particular tend to task gender rebellious bodies with containing the world's chaos, shoring up violent deviations from binary gender in order to frame the gendered system itself as natural, good, and inevitable, the safe haven that the nightmare underscores. I think that's probably enough to toss out there at first to discuss in the film. What do we think of that? <laughs> Just some, somewhere to start with, yeah, how the film kind of plays with, because you said it, Ben, how it, and I agree, it keeps 
taking extreme turns. <laughs> so we think we're familiar with this kind of thing, like mm-hmm. where this is going. Oh, she's like a serial killer. So we're just going to follow her on the run. And she like murders people and this will inevitably end how we would assume these kinds of films would end. It just happens to, she, instead of having a hostage with her, she's got her like car that she's in love with or something. It's her, her Clyde or her Bonnie, maybe depending on how we're going to view Alexia's gender in the film. Because that, that obviously, there's some stuff in there too to question. But yeah, let's just start there. <laughs> Joe, your face. I just noticed you have a Fright School t-shirt on. We appreciate that. That's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, I love the merch. Thank you for, for selling it. I, I know. I just said a whole bunch of crazy stuff. But it's stuff that I agree with. I think there's something really interesting happening in this about gender and body affirmation. Agreed. And I wouldn't even know... The entire time, by the end of the film, I'm like, I don't really know how Alexia identifies because I'm not exactly sure that she identifies as as a woman. I just get that feeling that her body is or their body is literally just a body. And I felt and for me, seeing them then bind their breasts, it I immediately evoked like the transness and the trans experience and for me, it made me really reflect on the fact that if, say, conservatives think that people are doing this just for funsies, binding your body is not comfortable. You really want to have to do it and really want to believe it or really want to know that is who you are for that mm-hmm. for you to make that work. To think that it is something that's just fun and that people just do. It's This film really shows that it is not a comfortable experience. She was posing as she was trying to pretend to be this other person who is you see her pain both with the pregnancy and with the binding like it is not a a, a great experience for her yeah i agree that was really interesting to show like because she's wearing these bandages for so long but they're they're all these like marks on her body and obviously like her body's also growing and changing with this cadillac baby that she's carrying or whatever it is as the movie progress because we're not sure we're not like what is going to happen (laughs) she's leaking motor oil out of her breasts and out of her vagina and all all over the place (laughs) so it's yeah yeah there was something in in that article i mentioned earlier where it was like it flirts with transmasculine iconography when Alexia's in disguise as Adrian. So Adrian is, listener, hopefully you've watched the movie just so that you can uh, have this experience with us. But in the film, Alexia, after murdering a bunch of people, she has to go on the run because they know who she is. So she hides herself as Adrian. She disguises herself as this boy that's been missing for 10 years and pretends to be like, oh, I'm here and meets up with the, the father of this boy and who accepts him as his son. And But since Alexia does not actually identify as male, and since the transformation has more to do with convenience than with need, it does not seem to work as an explicit allegory on this front. Arguably, in aligning herself with coldness and machinery and violence, Alexia distanced herself from what we are typically perceived as feminine traits, or what we particularly uh, perceive as feminine traits. Yeah, so I think that's actually more, that that part of it makes sense as this non-binary, this gender play than the hiding as Adrian because that is more for self-preservation so I just <laughs> but in a way <laughs> but in a way and I say this as someone who identifies as cis masculine and I'm what I'm about to say I just want to preface that but in a way isn't the practice of binding because it is a because it's a person who is who does that practice it's a way to affirm themselves and to affirm the identity mm-hmm. that they hold so in a way it's almost a type of self-preservation as well right because it's self-preservation in a way that it allows them to express and move through the world as they want to be perceived and in a way that feels comfortable comfortable in terms of the outside gaze and not physically comfortable but necessary to preserve a emotional psychological type of comfort and i say that because again i don't know anybody who has engaged in that practice and i'm curious as to an actual person who binds and has a trend and has comes from a trans lived experience what if that is anywhere if I'm on the right track in any way, shape, or form. But from what I know of just queerness in general is that oftentimes people are to live, if people, especially the most femme among us, are choosing authenticity over emotional safety. And in this way, 
she is choosing to do this to provide physical safety because she's hiding from the police. And yeah, it's, I'm really hoping that I'm trying to get on somewhere there, but I just think it's so interesting that you said that Joshua, because I was like, maybe there is still some safety there. I, this movie, again, I was also prepared actually very similarly Ben to you. I was like, I was prepared for a woman who likes, who like likes to have sex with cars or has like this affiliation towards cars And then just goes on a killing spree and all of that stuff. I was not prepared for now she's this fire captain's son and the whole movie. But in this, what I'm sussing out in our conversation is that in this movie, the gender of Alexia is irrelevant because she it's irrelevant in the sense that even towards the end of the film, the captain's wife comes and finds out that, oh, that's definitely not her son. The captain himself finds out this is definitely, and it's like, what does he say? He's no matter who you are, you will always be my son. And it's just the gender of Alexia becomes irrelevant and she exists or they exist as like this, as a person who is like who is independent from that and no one thinks about their gender, which like must be such an interesting thing, especially for folks to like to for folks where as queer people where like gender matters a lot to other people sometimes and to us who and to us it matters. Everyone has their own relationship with it, but to now have characters in the second half of the film where they don't care, they're willing to believe quote unquote the lie or the reality in which that they are presented. I don't want to say it's the lie, but it's the reality in which they're being presented. It's, I don't care who you are, just take care of him. And it's, I don't care who you are, like, you're still my son because of Let me things. take care of you. Exactly, let me take care of you. But it's just, they yeah. don't, They. it's an identity independent of gender where they are just needing to take care of each other, which is fascinating and like very queer, like a very queer concept. We don't care about gender. We just care that you're taking, we take care of you and you take care of us. I can't believe I just came up with that for this movie. <laughs> because you. they had me, I was ready to go on the ride. And then all of a sudden, she's leaking motor oil. I'm like, no, leaking, no, leaking motor oil. <laughs> and just the things that happen in this film. Also, the queerness of the queerness of the captain dancing to she's not there by the zombies, which like again, another gender thing, right? She's not there and then he's just very queerly dancing and all of the scenes of the firehouse firemen dancing like shirtless and like engaging in this part. I was like, what? This is gay. Like this movie is queer, <laughs> but these scenes are gay. Like what the fuck is happening? Ben, t- tell say more. Oh, no, and I, I totally agree with you. And I think it's not until Alexia at the like very end, I think, goes just beyond what's acceptable in terms of how you're displaying masculinity when mm. she's dancing very, how we would think, yes, and that's where they draw the line. But up until that point, they're like dancing with each other shirtless and very close to each other, all sweaty. It was, I enjoyed watching that part of it. But yeah, the entire time I was like, this is very gay and I'm here for it. I wish they would be here for it. I felt like there was, I felt like everyone's sexuality was in question, honestly. And it, it for me, it reaffirmed like that sexuality can be fluid. That That's what I was getting in that latter half of the film is I, I'm not really sure. I feel like anyone could get with anyone at this point. Yes, there's a a, a a literal and figurative uh, in, in the film. Uh, Joe, to one of your points, I, I really like this too, is like in the film, uh, De Cornell primes us again, using these trans tropes, primes us for a scene of abject revelation and horrified rejection. Uh, so we keep waiting for that to happen. They're, they keep flirting with these things like he catches... Vincent, the father, catches Adrian in like the dress, but then shows him the photo of like him in the dress, like as a child. And it's, oh, you are. And we keep playing with this, that there's nothing you can do to make me reject you. So it's, which is very interesting because a lot of times in, in trans narratives that we get on television, much back in the 80s and 90s, every gay movie was about coming out of the closet and wanting to die because we weren't straight or having AIDS or whatever. And now a lot of times the trans conversation is always, I'm rejected, no, nobody loves, which again, mirrors, not to say this doesn't mirror real life in a lot of ways, uh, unfortunately. But there's something like oddly beautiful about that sort of back and forth. Of course, because it's a French film, they also tease at this like weird incestuousness too. 
So there are like scenes like where they're dancing that's really odd. I don't know if you follow that. What's her name? Taddy MacLeod on TikTok or Instagram. She's this French woman. She's the one, Joe, I posted her thing at French Woman Goes to Coachella. And I was like, ah, she's me. She had a great TikTok like skit or whatever they, whatever the children call them, where it's her as a French filmmaker talking with an American uh, film, like develop, what are they, when you're in development like that? And they're like going back like and a forth. Producer and she's like, or, yeah, yeah, a producer or, or somebody who's, yeah, helps develop ideas and they're like going back and forth and she's like, you know, so I've written this film and it's about a woman who's like in a bad part of her life. And it's like, great. We love that. And now uh, she meets a man and they have an, a passionate love affair. And she's, oh yeah. The American's like, this is so great sex. We love that. And she's like, yes. But then she finds out the man is her father. <laughs> she's, Wait, what? Go back. Passionate love affair. No, the other thing, the dad, like the dad. Oh, she could be her brother. No. Can we not have any incest? I thought you said you like French film. <laughs> and it's, I was thinking about that while watching this because I'm like, ah, this is what we're talking about. You take this to freaking somebody at like Warner Brothers, they're going to be like, what? You want to make a movie about, huh? <laughs> this is going to go through a lot of rewrites before it gets an American remake. Uh, but yep. anyways, what was my point? Oh, just, yeah, the incestuous, like they're just weird, like stuff. It's just this whole movie is filled with just French weirdness which i'm here for okay so what was the other thing there was a couple other things to chat about one thing that i did write down too is the, the father he's taking some kind of steroid that again affirms his own gender so there's all these other conversations about gender in the film that are even just about her that again i think is actually really smart for where we're at now in the conversation because you have all these cis het asshole jerk faces trying to take the rights away from trans people to affirm their gender and it's but you affirm your gender in a million ways you have surgeries to correct things that you want you take certain uh, medications and hormones and all of these different things to affirm your gender so why is this when we want to extend it? So I, I also think that's an interesting conversation that's being had here about the way the body changes and like turns against us in ways as we age. I don't know. Throwing that out there for you. If we had thoughts on that, I think in the article I really love is that the imagery reframes tropes of transphobic cinema to illuminate the monstrosity of all gender bodies, all gendered bodies, cis or otherwise. She suggests that trans transness is not a contained error within an otherwise pristine system, but the key to understanding what it means to have a body in the first place. All humans twist disobedient flesh into communicative social forms. Everyone falls short of gender's fragile scaffolding in life, and everyone ultimately denatures into entropy through death. These failures and collapses don't indicate a deficiency in humanity. They are central to what it means to be human. In Titan, they're a transgender body because there's no such thing as a cisgender body. And then further, there was a remark on monstrosity that I really liked. Sorry, I don't know where it went. I can't remember what article it was from, but I really like that too. It was like, oh, monstrosity for me is always positive. This is from a her... Oh, yes. So to get to what I was talking about earlier, I think before we started recording from an interview with Eric Cohn in IndieWire. So this is from an interview with Julia DeCornau, the writer and director, because he asked her about what the idea to get knocked up by a car. <laughs> and she said, that comes from my will to build my movie around the birth of a new world. I usually have the end in my head and then work from that. I wanted to create a new world that was the equivalent of the birth of the Titans after Uranus and Gaia made it. The sky and the earth. That's where it comes from. The idea was to create a new humanity that is strong because it's monstrous and not the other way around. Monstrosity for me is always positive. It's about debunking all the normative ways of society and social life. This was the case with Raw as well. Her monstrosity had her emancipated. So I thought, how can this happen? And that led me to the car and to, to this film. But I really like that because, again, I do think there's something about our bodies rebel against us in a lot of ways as we age and we change and especially hormonally, all these different things happen to men and women. And there's all these ways that we try to preserve our youth or our strength or our femininity, our, our femininity or masculinity, whatever it is. And I just, I, I really also like that idea of, yeah, monstrosity that we are all, you know, like the body is a monstrous place <laughs> as it turns against us. And it's, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I like that. And this is a film that's very much a, a body horror film. So that something has happened in her that she doesn't quite understand. They don't quite understand. <laughs> However, we want to uh, think of uh, Alexia. Yeah. 
for me, I, I felt like it really normalized body dysmorphia. It, mm. I felt like as those two especially were like really experiencing it of this internal critic that they had and, and shame that they had about their bodies. It was just so amplified and also made me, as somebody who is non-binary, I related to, I at times don't know like how I feel about my body. And I felt like that really came through with those two characters where it's like, you're having these conversations with yourself in the bathroom, looking at yourself, really wondering, is this the body that I want to have? Am I happy with it? Those conversations I felt like were very real in, in both of those characters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it added this really human element to this film that is inhumane. In a way, you're dealing with these just inhuman body of her, of what of, of her changing. And but yeah, countered with just interesting displays of masculinity and and trying to hold on to yeah, wanting our body to be what we remembered it was or preserving it in some way trying to a lot of times body dysmorphia, like we want to get people to a feeling of like neutrality, like body neutrality, or like self compassion. I'm not one for like body positivity or like self love, because for some of us, we just can't if we just get to a place to not actively hate ourselves. That's a win. But I, yeah, so I think this, it brings up, yeah, I thought the same watching him stand in front of the mirror and inject himself and sin. Yeah, I'm feeling the same of being in that position before. Okay, let's see what else. I wanted to, I like the conversation about a future, like the filmmaker Mm. talking about seeing a new future, because one thing that I did think about as this, especially reflecting on the film after seeing it, is the idea of the futurist art movement and the Mm. futurist art movement, which came out in the early 20th century. It was pre-World War II, but came out from Italy. It's very, it has its, it has its political complexity because a lot of futurists, especially Italian futurists, were nationalists and fascists. But one of the main things that these futurists celebrated was the idea of a glorious, fast-moving future thanks to machines. And so the idea, some of the themes were like movement, um, industry, technology. We are, we're no longer thinking about the past in terms of like past, past industries of being slower, agrarian. Like we are now fully steam, full steam ahead into the future. And so it was interesting that you mentioned that in the article, because I was already thinking about that. And so I'm like, ah, this is a very, it's also a very interesting and futurist concept to have a woman or a person basically give birth to the next phase of human evolution. It seems that Mm. the filmmaker is talking about. And it also, again, linking it all together, right? The idea of queerness and a radical acceptance of queer people as being also a futurist concept, where it's mm-hmm. we as queer people, and especially folks who are out there on the front lines and that are in the fight to for that are working towards making it so that way queer people can just exist and be safe is such a future is a futurist notion of what if in the future there was just no gender, right? The you said mentioned it, Joshua, where it's like. There is no cisgender, there is no transgender, and there is no cisgender. There is just, there are just people. Body. There's yeah. just body. And in this, it's okay, what if there was just body? And now the body is like, and wrapping it up literally with like machines, because a machine is a machine. It doesn't have, it's devoid of gender. It is just a thing, even though it is like a classically masculine thing, object we see that it's also been queered up with Alexia's appreciation of it and ultimately her sexual desire toward it. So what if like futurism, but it's a queer futurist where it's gender is irrelevant and all you have is your body and you can just do what you like with your body and people will accept you for it. Yeah, that would be nice. I'm here for that word. Yes, that would be really nice. (laughs) Yeah, I'd written down something too about techno anxiety, technophobia. I think there's like a streak of that in this too, of the continuing evolution of the human body and the more we are merging ourselves with machines and now AI. And so it's it's very, there's a lot going on, especially, and I really appreciate that conversation about futurist art because there's something to, this has this 
kind of a connection to Metropolis in a way by discussing mm-hmm. that. It takes us back a hundred years to some of the themes in this movie are not new. Are, um, we've been talking about them for a long time. And so this film feels very transgressive, but it's also, again, really tied to human concerns about our bodies, about what it means to evolve, about what it means to be left behind in that in, in, in evolution, what it means to... So that, uh, what was it we were talking about of the better our technology gets, the more that's expected of us, the faster things are expected to be mm-hmm. done, the more pressure put on humans to deliver certain things. Yeah, there, it's, <laughs> I was not expecting to get into this deep of a conversation when I chose this, but as I started research, I'm like, wow, there's, yeah, there's a lot to, to discuss. <laughs> it's not yeah. just somebody having sex with a car. It's, uh, there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to read this last little piece. Was there any other final thoughts before we wrap up, though? Any other stray? I think I got to like everything on my list, which is actually a miracle. Oh, family is what you make of it. I did write that down. God, not a Uh, queer chosen family comment from Joshua. Oh, my gosh. It really is. There's like a moment of that when like Vincent taking on her like car baby and he pledges to like take care of it. But I don't know. It's lovely. They he's getting what he wanted like another chance at raising a child yeah but any other stray thoughts <laughs> this might be a, a stretch but because uh, yeah. i also love talking about we love a about, stretch on this <laughs> we love talking i love talking about trauma and i'm just wondering if from i'm wondering if it's also trying to tell a story about intergenerational trauma with like alexia at the very beginning having that dramatic experience with the mm-hmm. car crash then yeah. being fused with this new technology in her body. And then we're seeing her go through life, really having to adapt to that. And then the the car baby, then I think I'm wondering if that's passing along some of that trauma that she experienced into oh. now her, her child. Uh, Cause I also wonder with Vincent's story, I also got a lot of intergenerational trauma around masculinity and kind mm-hmm. of what, what he was told about what being a man was supposed to be like and right. how that affected him and once meet once he meets who he thinks is his son is actually alexia really then starts to shift and i think heal that repressed trauma that he did have that's why i said it's i'm wondering if that's a stretch that's what no i, I yeah i know I, I think you're absolutely right there was some there was an article i read yeah. where it's, it's almost as if she alexia is passing on this traumatic event but her baby is like stronger for it is a real merging of these yeah. sorts of things and in birthing a new world where monstrosity will protect this child that was one of the readings at, of kind of understanding the end of the film so no i don't think you're off at all yeah. on that joe what were you going to say I was going to say the baby itself has a titanium spine. They can yeah. see it. So it's, it's reinforced with the strongest metal. So it will give it, it will give it that. And then I love Ben, how you mentioned you brought in the father, Vincent's, his own struggle with, or him using steroids. And then also at the same time being affirming of his son, especially the moment where Vincent catches Alexia as Adrian with the dress. It's just, no, I'm not going to actively taking a step being like, I'm going to affirm your identity in a way that my identity was never affirmed for me. And now I'm trapped by I'm I can say this and feel I I can say this and feel seen and everyone will understand masculinity is a prison, right? And so he Mm. is now trapped in masculinity in a way that like, he now gets to he now has his son back and is seeing Oh, they are still who I remember them to be they are not trapped by masculinity so they're going to have a good life but no matter what it's almost as if and that's why i'm wondering if if joshua if there was anything interesting and because you know a little french there's anything if like when he said son is it the direct is it the gendered is it the gendered word for son because i wonder if he just said you will always be my child but Mm -hmm. the english translation in the moment is son do you know what i mean i wonder if there was any of that there I don't remember what exact word. That'd be interesting to go back and look. There were definitely some translations that were like weird in this and in Stranger by the Lake. That always happens because it's like whoever might be translating may choose. So yeah, I'd have to go back and look and see if he was using like gendered, like specific rather than like enfant or feet, like feet, like son. It's specific. So I'd have to look. I, I don't remember. I wasn't paying close enough attention to that. But I think there's something to explore there. Yeah, That could be really interesting. 
And then Ben, too, last thought on this is that so you're talking about like the epigenetic trauma, right? The passed down trauma of this car crash. I did read in a review of this that kind of pause. It was very brief and they don't go anywhere to they don't really clarify it. But I did read a review that said it's almost as if young Alexia wants to cause the car crash. Her behavior is being annoying, is annoying enough that she almost wants it to happen. And I hesitate saying that because it's we don't want to be like the little girl was asking for it. But but because because of what happens right after the surgery, when she leaves the hospital, she like goes to the car and kisses it. It's I'm like, ah, and I'm in my mind. I'm like, oh, she kissed it because my initial reading is she kissed it because the car kept them safe and she didn't die. They didn't go flying out of the of the car. But no, then you realize that as she's grinding on this Cadillac in the car show that no, she like loves this car. It's like a new parent. It's rebirthed her. Yeah. They're made mm-hmm. of the same material. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Huh. I have to think about that when I see it again. Because I will watch this again. It was so wild. <laughs> Especially in, in thinking about it in these new ways. <laughs> All righty. So just to wrap up, I thought this was interesting. It goes against our whole point of horror ha- making some big statement. But there's something infinitely... This is, again, from the Sex Drive article. Something infinitely more interesting at this stage about a horror movie that toys with a plethora of themes, teaching its audience nothing in particular, but sparking uncomfortable feelings, provoking debate, igniting something hot enough to burn. More refreshing still, Alexei's not an Avenger or a girl boss, and the film, despite being the, cre- the creation of a woman, is neither a feminist statement nor an unfeminist one, merely a statement. A machine by its very nature cannot be a hero or a villain. What truly drives Alexia remains mysterious. Her frightening opacity is difficult to penetrate as steel. I really thought of this movie, like a lot of French or cinema, cinema in general, French cinema in general, throws out a whole bunch of things to stick to the wall. And it's like, all right, this is what I've made. Take it for what it is. Have thoughts, whatever. <laughs> it just feels very French, this film. Eh. Whatever. It's like I've made a statement. This is what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's a very, I'm, I'm going to say something, it, but it's a very, again, the idea is that it's like above gender, right? This mm. movie is, we, it's above gender in a way that like the first half of the film, we envision Alexia as like this woman who is a stripper that has a very, gen, like, especially a very gendered profession. And then at the end, she's a fireman or they're a fireman where well, it's also, again, a very, it's very gendered, but like the character themselves is moving through it as above this. And in a way that like they're able to navigate, they're able to navigate all of that as well. Ultimately, things happen and they don't survive. They don't survive. But up until a certain point, it's like when they choose to react against the world and that's what happens and then dealing with those repercussions. So I love the idea that I, I think that for I, I would be curious to see what a, a cis heterosexual person thinks of this movie, because I was even though it was like wild, just because of the car sex and the baby all and just that alone, I was willing to accept everything else. I'm like, yes, perfect hair caught in a nipple ring and then licking all of that. Why not? Yeah. A big raucous sex party with a bunch of different people, a bunch of firemen dancing, and then she's doing her little sexy dance on a fire truck. I was willing to accept all of it, and none of that broke my brain as far as gender performance. But I also exist as a queer person and understand that gender is a construct and people make of it what it is that they want to make with it, make of it for themselves. So yeah. I'm curious, like, uh, as a cis head watcher of this. And I don't mean that in a slur. <laughs> don't mean that as a slur. <laughs> but as a cishet watcher of this, like what that opinion would be. And also at the same time, I don't necessarily care. But I'm just curious as are you willing if we're will they are you willing to accept having sex with a car, but you're not willing to accept someone who wants to present in this way, right? That's I'm curious as like, where are our lines, right? Mm-hmm. I accept everything about this except the car sex and the baby. But that's also because I am not a shitty human being. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's again, it, it gives a lot to think about. And we're going to have to do a part two of this episode if this continues. So we have to just wrap it up and <laughs> say that, yeah, it brings up a lot of thoughts. If you are a cis het person who happens to have accidentally stumbled across this show, share your thoughts. <laughs> Tell us what you think. 
Ben, thank you so much for taking time out of your uh, day to spend time talking about this insane film with us. And we hope you'll come back and talk about something else and <laughs> see if we can find so something much. even wilder. <laughs> thank you so much. I think in this discussion, I just realized how much I actually I did enjoy watching it. It was bonkers, but I think there yeah. was a, a lot of things, a lot of things I connected to in the film. Super glad that I'm on this podcast so that I could could watch it and then discuss it with you all. Yeah, it was super fun. Joe, you going to watch this again? No. <laughs> no. All right. There I don't go. need to watch uh, this again. I would rather be in a corner watching people watch this. Yes. So yes. if that's the loophole where I would watch it again, then yes. But I would rather just put my chair like against a room full of people, especially non-horror fans. That would, that be, would be fun. fun. Yeah, I'm here for that. All right. You know where to find us. We're at all the things at Fright School. Uh, please share us with your friends, especially this bonkers conversation. Um, what was it again? Um, oh. <laughs> dang. Fucking crazy. Batshit crazy movie. We love that. Uh, especially when it's in French. Joe, Ben, good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. <laughs> listening to the Geekscape Network.